Well, good morning, Greenwich, and welcome to the Wednesday, May 31st edition of the Basement Academy. I am wondering if any of you found my missing month of May because it's gone. <laughs> Somehow this month just disappeared. Uh, it was so full uh, and therefore so quick. Uh, glad for all that has happened uh, in the life of the church family. Um, there's things that you probably y'all are not aware of. Just There's been a lot going on at the church, special weekends and celebrations. Um, we give thanks for all of them, but now they have ended. Uh, and so the Basement Academy continues. And so let's dive in uh, to our morning psalm. <clears throat> Um, in the psalm chart that we follow uh, for the rule of prayer, uh, in, in praying the psalms daily, uh, the 31st of the month has two psalms, Psalm 31, Psalm 119. And I think just in case you didn't get it on day 29, they give you Psalm 119 again, all 176 verses. I'm not going to do that. Uh, I'm going to read just eight verses, one of the little sections. It's 22 sections of eight verses. And this has some language that ties into our theme of where your treasure is, this whole idea of financial discipleship. And so this picks up in verse 33. Teach me, O Lord, to follow your decrees. Then I will keep them to the end. Give me understanding and I will keep your law and obey it with all my heart. Direct me in the path of your commands for there I find delight. Turn my heart toward your statutes, not toward selfish gain. Turn my eyes away from worthless things. Preserve my life according to your word. Fulfill your promise to your servants so that you may be feared. Take away the disgrace I dread, for your laws are good. How I long for your precepts. Preserve my life in your righteousness. Verses 33 through 40 of Psalm 119. Turn my heart toward your statutes, not toward selfish gain, an implication of our heart that will we'll pursue the Lord, pursue the heavenly treasure, or a heart that turns towards the earthly treasure, the selfish gain, and then turn my eyes away from worthless things. And so we read in, in um, Matthew 6 yesterday, the eye is the lamp of the body. And so God has made us, our, our eyes behold things, and then we often want them. And so, again, we're going to unpack that passage a little bit more. But I want to kind of by still by way of introduction to this theme of financial discipleship, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Um, Jesus cares about our hearts. Jesus cares about our lives. He cares about the interior. The eye is the lamp of the body. And if your eye sets upon things, the wrong things, then the, that that lamp is going to create darkness in you, okay? And so he is concerned about what only giving ourselves to the things of this world can do for us. And 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 pursuing a treasure 
that is temporal, that passes, that does not last, that it, that is corruptible. And so the psalmist seems to have that, that, that same concern. So I think I love when the scripture, you can see the, the, these clear connections and, and parallels. Okay, usually when we're talking about finances in the church, we're talking about stewardship. That's the language we're more accustomed to hearing, financial stewardship. You are a steward of that which God has entrusted to you. You are not the owner. God is the owner of everything. You are merely the steward. You are merely the manager. Okay, A steward is one who, who has a, a, a task or a, a mission to administer on behalf of another. Okay, And so... Most of the teachings that we hear, um, minister, there are specialized ministries that um, Crown Ministries, Ron Blue Ministries, others, um, Financial Peace University, um, Dave Ramsey. Often the language of stewardship will be used, suggesting or implying that this is an administrative responsibility that we have. And it is that, but I'm concerned that we only think it's that. And, and so most of our discussions about money within the context of the church or our teachings focus on this administrative responsibility. So you look at your budget, set your budget according to certain kinds of percentages, um, you know, uh, pay the Lord first, pay yourself second. So tithing, investing, I, I, you know, um, savings. Um, we'll so often talk about investments. There will be target percentages of how much should you be spending on housing? How much should you be spending on food? What percentage of your overall uh, household income ought you be spending on these various things? And then you live within those means. And so, um, and, and this is all good advice. So please don't hear me otherwise. But the idea around stewardship often stresses the administrative responsibility that we have. Um, stewardship being the requirement or the responsibility uh, of the Christian. I would like to introduce, I am introducing to you the language of discipleship, financial discipleship. To move this, to move our relationship with our money and our approach to money and our handling of money away from an administrative project towards a discipleship project. And some of you are going, well, I don't see the difference, Don. So hopefully... Today and, and in days to come, I'll, I'll try to explain some of this. But I would offer to you that it's less about being a faithful steward of our finances and it's more about being faithful disciples of Jesus and how that then plays out through our finances and our relationship with money. Discipleship, so both stewardship and discipleship are kind of mindsets. A stewardship mindset, I think, often leads to an administrative approach. Get my budgets in order, get my household income in order, my expenses in order, and then just administer the plan. 
do that. But discipleship requires an understanding of what money is. And Jesus presents to us money in such a way. In, in Matthew chapter 6, he says, You cannot serve two masters. Either you're going to love the one and despise the other or love this one and hate the other. And then he goes, you cannot serve God and money. Wow. Jesus points out in Matthew 6 that the chief rival to our faith in God, our relationship with God, is not the devil, but it is our money. He, he in a sense, deifies money. He, he, he elevates money to almost a godlike stature. It's like an idol that stands as, as a chief rival. It's an alternative God that we would be tempted to pursue. Our hearts may pursue and lay hold of it rather than laying hold of the true treasure, God himself. And so it's understanding what money is. And so money is a threat. It is a threat to your very life. It is a threat to your faith. It is a threat to your relationship with God. Now that's strong language, I, I, and, I, and I'm using that language intentionally. I, I'm aware of that. It is our chief rival to God. Again, as I said yesterday, most of us think of discipleship um, as really just involving the right beliefs, right doctrines, understanding who Jesus is, the power of the cross, salvation, um, or discipleship is about being involved in Bible studies and worship and small groups, etc., etc. And, and, and so we don't really, you know, how we handle our money is just this small little peripheral thing to our getting, the, getting our belief system right or our political views right. And I think Jesus speaks differently. And he says money, money is, if you don't figure money out what money is, it's going to get you. And it's going to render you ineffective as a disciple of God. And that's what Jesus is saying. You're going to either serve God or you're going to serve money. Money, money will, will, will become like a master. It will become a Lord. And so I want to talk just briefly about what I call the spiritual power of money. Money drives nearly every decision that we make in life. I won't say every decision, but nearly every decision we make. From decisions of state, okay, again, having this presentation against the backdrop of the debt ceiling debate that's going on in Washington right now. And so nearly every decision of state, every decision of our government ultimately boils down to a financial decision. Okay, because that's where we fight. We fight over money. Yeah, if it's just making us, you know, Congress makes a resolution that we're going to have, you know, name this such and such day. Okay, great. Who cares? We're not having debate whether the, where we debate, where we fight is when it gets down to allocating money. Those are the real political decisions. How are we going to fund military? How are we going to fund police or defund police? That language of funding, right? Are we going to build a border wall? Are we going to secure our borders or not? Are we going to allocate resources? When we talk about allocating resources, they think, well, we're talking about people. No, when you're talking about people, you're talking about paying those people. 
nearly every decision of our government of state is is it involves money every decision of a business a a, a, a corporation a mom and pop shop um uh, nonprofits churches right every decision your family makes um, where you're going to send your kid to college for those who are getting ready to send your kids off to college, the graduations, college graduates, where you're going to get a job, how much are they going to pay you? Nearly every decision we make of, of, of significance always wraps around money in some way. So that's significant to understand that, right? Um, and so money drives nearly every decision. There is an unquestioned authority in our society, and it creeps into the church as well. There's nearly an unquestioned authority that we give to money. We call it the bottom line. Well, I, you know, we can't afford that. The bottom line won't allow that. We have to maximize profits. We have to make sure we don't spend too much. And so when you look at the bottom line or bottom line thinking, what you're really saying is, there's going to be a number on that piece of paper. And again, different pieces of paper for different organizations, families, individuals, etc. But you're looking at numbers that represent your money or the money of the organization. Okay. And we have an unquestioned, we give an unquestioned authority to money. Money won't let us, you know, the, the, the budget won't allow us to do that. Sometimes in life, the best decision may not be the most financially wise decision. Who thinks giving 10% of your income is a financially wise decision? Does the world understand that? That's tithing. We're going to talk about that several weeks from now, but I introduce it here. Scripture calls to bring the first fruits of the harvest, to bring the first fruits of the flock, to bring 10%. Initially, it was of the harvest of the flock. Okay, it was an agricultural community. But in places, we see that's if you can't bring all that from a distance, then you convert that to money and you bring that to the temple for your offering. The tithe. We have no indication that the tithe has been abolished. Okay, there's a debate about that. I'll present that in a couple of weeks. But the world does not understand why in the world would you give 10% or more of your income to a, a God you cannot see, to people who are not really working for a living, you know, the priests, the Levites, or the pastors, right, who only work one day a week, said sarcastically and facetiously. There's no economic reason you would give 10% of your money away, but God says do it. But in the world's eyes, that is absolutely ludicrous. And so there's an unquestioned authority that we give to money. The bottom line, or we'll talk about the market. You know, the market is saying, what is the market? Well, we're talking the stock market, but, but we, we use language as if the market were a living thing. And so, and so there's a, you know, money is driving our decisions. Money has an authority to it. Just come into the meeting and say, hey, we, you know, we've, we've analyzed the numbers. We can't do it. Yeah, but it's, it's the right thing to do. Well, no, the, the numbers won't allow us to do it. And so 
there's an authority that we give to money. Money motivates behavior often through the promise of rewards. If you engage in this much kind of activity, you will receive this much reward. Um, a lot of people will do a lot of different things because of the, the promise or the hope of a payoff, okay? It is said that every person has their price, right? That you can buy out every person. And we watch this in the sports world with the LIV golf tournament, these enormous sums of money that were offered to these professional golfers to defect from the American uh, golf tour over to a Saudi-backed golf tour. And the question is that money feels maybe a little tainted because of the um, civil rights, human rights violations of uh, Saudi Arabia, the Saudis. And so there's this whole discussion. But, you know, appreciate the, the golfers that have been interviewed said, frankly, the money was too good, you know. I don't know what I would do if somebody came and offered me $500,000 to leave Greenwich Presbyterian Church to go to Third Methodist or something like that. I'd like to think I would resist that because of a relationship I have with Greenwich, but I don't know. You know, I'll be real honest. And, and so if somebody, what I find is that, you know, over the years at Greenwich and other places, people... Almost everybody's trying to get more money. And if somebody offers more money, I'm going to leave this thing that I know and works for me in this community that I know, and I'm going to leave to go get more money. I, 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 I'm saying, so money motivates our behavior. It drives behavior. It drives decisions. It has an authority to it. It, it promises certain rewards. But But here's where you start to see the power of money, few things can incite such powerful emotions as money does, or in some cases, the lack of money. I have watched, but both in my own life, okay, thankfully not often, but there have been times in my own life, but more often in the lives of others that I work with at Greenwich and beyond Greenwich and the, the community life of Greenwich. I have watched the perceived absence or lack of money to incite tremendous fear in people. Oh my gosh, I don't know what I'm going to do. And, and that, that emotion of fear, there's a, a, a knot or a pit in the bottom of your stomach. I don't know if I'm going to have enough money to cover my bills at the end of the month. Or, you know, we're, we're the, 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 the church budget might be looking because there's always, a, there's a cyclical pattern to, the, to church finances, as anybody who works at churches knows. <clears throat> but people who don't understand that look at, at the, the, the update in the bulletin and there's fear, anxiety, oh my gosh, which, you know, worry. Okay, and so fear and anxiety and worry, just a number on a piece of paper that doesn't say what you want it to say can just immediately strike fear. Anger, boy, you want to see people get mad? Watch how they fight over money. Husbands and wives, parents and children, siblings, um, in, in boardrooms, um, um, in, in, in businesses, uh, in governments, right? The anger, the, uh, it incites violence, okay? Between nations, uh, between people, 
um, in the inner cities and in the suburbs. People shoot people for money. People kill people for money. And so uh, despair, you know, the fear and the anxiety often leads to, I just, I don't know what I'm going to do. And people just retreat. They, they, they turn away. So there's all of these, this whole host of negative emotions that money or the lack, the perceived lack of money can incite. And then money also imparts when you have money, okay, when you don't have money or you're concerned about money, it's all this negative stuff. When you have money, and again, perceived amounts of money, okay, a sense of security, a sense of peace and, and well-being. My life is good because I've got money. Um, payday is often a happy day for a lot of people. Certainly for younger people when they're first starting out working and they get that first $132.98 check, you know, from working, um, you know, at the, at the pool or at the McDonald's or something like that. Um, that $132 to a very young person is like all the money in the world and they run right out and buy stuff, right? And so it gives security, well-being, a sense of strength and, and confidence. You know, so as the stock market has kind of ebbed and flowed and inflation has gone up and the markets have been very uneven and we're, you know, kind of flirting with bear market territory, you know, you see people's confidence wane, you know, wax or wane based on this, the stock market, right? People carry themselves with a sense of value and worth when they're treasury is full, when their bank account is full, when their investments are doing well, etc. And so, um, what, what it, I, I think, oh, sorry, I, I, re, I re, repeated security here. Maybe, maybe that's intentional, right? We have the sense of security, a sense of identity. My life has meaning and purpose because I have money and ultimately it comes down to freedom. Having money gives us a sense of freedom. I can do what I want, when I want, where I want, as often as I want, with whomever I want. I could go on, okay? We're at the end of our time. And so what these four weeks of study will be and the, and the coming Sundays, the, the couple months of, of Sundays, is to help us understand money is more than just an administrative reality. There is this larger force, power, reality that, that, that we assign to or confer upon our money, but somehow it, it gets a life of its own, right? And so I think it's a discipleship task more than an administrative task. So yes, we want to be good stewards of the resources God has entrusted to us. Please hear me. But I think there's a much larger reality going on. So let's close here and we'll pick up tomorrow looking at Matthew 6 again, okay? Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that you are the one who secures our lives, who gives us freedom and hope and meaning and purpose and worth. Forgive us when we place our trust in something so passing and temporal and intangible as money. 
And so be our keeper, be our safeguard this day. I pray for any who this day are in the grips of fear and anxiety and worry uh, and perhaps even despair over the level of money in their own lives. And so, Father, set us free that we might pursue uh, where, where true riches are to be found. And so, God, watch over us as we pray now in the name of Jesus as he taught us to pray together, saying, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. May the God who keeps and secures your life give you a deep abiding knowledge and comfort and hope and peace and freedom in and through Jesus Christ this day and forevermore. Amen.